0: Hello, I'm Jason Rigdon, and you are listening to the Seattle Podcasters Podcast. Today, I have Ryan Brown of Bigfoot and Bob and Pacific Northwest. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Could you tell me a little bit about your podcast? Absolutely. Uh, I do a comedy podcast with my
1: fiancé about monsters, cryptids, and local legends. Uh, Very heavy pacific northwest themes uh big fans of bigfoot not bigfoot hunting but uh we just like the idea of a big furry boy running around in the woods
0: okay and so like kind of all kinds of paranormal stuff do you do like aliens and psychics i suppose
1: (laughs) oh sure yeah yeah we anything that people are way too serious about that make them difficult at parties so (laughs) uh if it is vampires werewolves mummies, we'll take that on. If it is crystal healing and sage burning, we will take that on. If it is Bigfoot, Mothman, or the Flatwoods monster, we're so there.
0: And are you uh, a true believer, or is this more um, just for fun? This is more just for fun. It, we're very clear about the fact that we respect the
1: beliefs of any person. And we realize that people who believe in paranormal things do so for a reason. And uh, that their unique life experience is important and valid. Uh, and so we try and take things with a grain of salt, uh, but try and be respectful of, of those beliefs. The, the exceptions being, you know, people that think that vaccines cause autism or people that believe that you know, someone with a different color skin is not as much a, a person. You know, those are beliefs that we, we don't really uh, respect,
0: but for the most part, we keep it light and uh, and fun. And you cover some movies too. I think I saw you did one about the Bird Box, and uh, my one of my absolute favorite movies, uh, Pontypool.
1: Oh yeah, we had such a blast with that episode. Um, Pontypool is an especially interesting horror movie. Um, we do we like movies, and movies are traditionally the way that we are introduced to monsters. Um, obviously there was a time when it was, uh, primarily through books, but, uh, but now I think horror movies are very popular and thrillers and we tend to learn about new monsters through horror movies and they're not always named, you know, for example, Pontypool is technically a zombie movie, but it's so different from your average zombie movie uh, that you really have to watch critically to, to know what's going on. Whereas if you watch, you know,
0: like Day of the Dead or something like that, you already know what to expect. Yeah, I, I, I just love that movie so much. And so I was really thrilled when I saw that episode. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, we're both big fans. So how long have you been doing this show?
1: Uh, we celebrated our one year anniversary last month. So about 13 months now. And we'd been wanting to start a podcast for a long time, specifically to talk about weird Stuff, because we live in the Pacific Northwest, which is an area that uh, has a lot of uh spooky uh creepy and paranormal uh culture i I come from New England, where there's way more ghosts obviously <laughs> but uh out here people are a lot more into. First of all, Bigfoot, he's he's kind of the big one. <laughs> but also they're you know, they're really into exploring the unknown and pushing the boundaries of what may be considered good science. And so how many episodes have you made? Um oh, I don't know. The mid forties we were weekly uh when we started out and then we moved to uh bi-weekly more or less when i started working on pod civic northwest because that ended up taking up a lot of my time and had
0: you done um, any podcasts before this one
1: no uh <laughs> um i was definitely learning on the fly I-, I do most of the production side for the show and and i've been learning on the fly uh for most of it uh I have done audio projects in the past. Uh, I, I was a gigging musician for a while in Rhode Island. Um, but podcasts are a little different, <laughs> obviously. Um, there's less production that goes into it, obviously, depending on the show. But there's so much more diversity in, in sound uh, when it comes to podcasts that you have to think about it in a slightly different way. Uh, I was in a good position to start a podcast because I had all this audio equipment from doing music. So I already had a mixer. I already had a USB interface. I already had a headphone amplifier and stuff like that. Uh, So I was able to carry that over. But as for the tips and techniques, you know, definitely microphone technique and audio post-processing, the vocal effects chain, that stuff was all new to me. And what motivated you to actually start a podcast? Well, I listen to podcasts constantly. Uh I actually looked at my stats on pocket casts which I use and I realized that uh since fall of twenty seventeen when I switched to this app, uh I've listened to an average of five hours of podcasts a day. And that and that's averaged over every day, which is incredible. Uh <laughs> I'm a, a contractor by trade, so I'm working with my hands, which means I can listen to podcasts all day. <laughs> and uh, I prefer to, uh, rather than
0: speaking to human beings, which is way harder. <laughs> so then after listening to all these shows, you you wanted to start your own?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always looking for the next thing that is going to fill the hole in my soul. Does that make sense? And and um, podcasting is something that I found that has an incredible sense of community, an incredible sense of creativity, and an incredible hunger for originality. And those things really spoke to me, uh, and that's why I built this studio from the ground up. It's why I do everything that I can to support other podcasters, uh, because. I feel like
0: community is the strongest thing that podcasting has. And so as a podcaster, when you're first starting or even now, what have been some of the biggest challenges you faced? I feel like there isn't a great hosting
1: solution. There are good ones, but I I'm I'm rather meticulous when it comes to, to, to decisions like that. So I've compared probably 12 or 13 different hosting options Uh, and i always felt like there's a trade-off here between keeping prices low and and making sure you're not paying for things that you don't need as well as having the flexibility to uh, get bigger if you get bigger And the biggest uh, problem with that is bandwidth, uh, because if you're on a plan that limits your bandwidth, then you run into huge issues if you jump in popularity. Uh, And ones that limit your audio quality can be rough, because uh, if you do your show in mono and then one week you have a musical guest and you want to do a stereo episode maybe you can't do that maybe you have to pay like 30 dollars to do that uh and and that's that can be tough and i think it limits creativity uh now for most podcasts that's fine and honestly for mine as well uh because we have a pretty standard format that doesn't change up too much Uh, but i think that there's a certain level of creativity that we're boxed out of Uh, As opposed to something like uh, YouTube, you know, for folks that make video content, where you can upload more or less as big a file as you want, and do whatever you want with it, and YouTube can handle it. The other uh, big issue is equipment. I think that as the field has become more crowded, uh, the quality that you need to hit for people to listen is a little higher. You know, 10 years ago, you could start a podcast with your built-in laptop microphone and not do any editing, and you could have a successful podcast. But I don't think that's possible anymore. Now, I do think that one of the great things about podcasting is you can start with relatively little. But I do still think there's a segment of the population that can't afford a $30 microphone. There is a segment of the population that has just a smartphone, and I think extending access to podcasts to those
0: people is very important. And what have been some of the biggest rewards of doing this show? Do you do any ads or ask for donations? We we only do one ad, and it
1: is um, for Audible, and we don't make money off it. Um, we do it because it's fun. We get to, at the end of a show, uh, draw people to literature that's relevant to our topic. So, and we get to bullshit about it. Um. So our Audible promo just comes in real. It's it's uh it's recorded right in line with everything else. Uh, and. That's the only promotion that we do. Uh we our, our call to action, we rotate things like Facebook and Twitter and and uh you know uh listener submissions and rate and review on iTunes, stuff like that. Um as for the the biggest rewards of doing the show it has been being a part of this community and getting to meet all the amazing people who are creating such wonderful things Podcon was uh, last month and it was I mean it's it's the best thing that we do all year because we get to meet people who are doing things that we didn't even uh, think were possible and people who are so passionate about their projects
0: and about meeting other people who feel the same way that they do. That's absolutely been the most rewarding thing. And have you made any connections in kind of the paranormal enthusiast area?
1: A couple. I, I'm i nervous about doing that because, like I said, we aren't true believers, and we don't necessarily uh, take things super seriously. Uh, I like to say that the target demographic for the 1987 movie harry and the hendersons is the precise demographic for our show Uh, and i don't know how many hardcore bigfoot folks are into that movie could probably more than i think i we've had the opportunity to go to a couple of uh, bigfoot conventions uh, and we have not taken that opportunity i'd be nervous about interviewing a real life bigfoot hunter but we are always open to meeting new people, and I would love to have some more guests who have some firsthand experience in the paranormal. We actually we did an episode with a friend of mine from New England who talked about his experiences with the paranormal. Uh, unfortunately, there were audio issues and we lost the episode. It's the only episode that we have lost so far, and I'm real bummed about it.
0: But I'd love to do more of that in the future. And so one of your other really cool projects you're doing right now is Pacific Northwest. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um
1: Pacific Northwest started in uh late last year in order to create a space for local content creators in the Pacific Northwest. It's a group of primarily podcasters uh but also uh musicians and uh video producers where they can gather discuss technique, network, and support one another. I want people to be able to go on the Facebook group or talk to their fellow members and get answers to problems they can't get answers to anywhere else. And I want PodCivic as an organization to provide people with resources that they can't get anywhere else. There are a lot of podcasting groups um, based around genre or Uh, just sort of general podcast groups on the internet, Uh, and you and I are uh, part of groups that have a different focus, that, that are more geographical. And I think that's really important, and the best way to exploit that is to provide for your members physical things in the real world. So that's why this week we launched Dead Possum Studio, which is our first community recording space uh, in Kirkland, Washington. It's free to use for any group members. So they can come in and use our equipment and record and uh, use our editing software and and make the project that they want to make, whether or not
0: uh, they have access to the stuff themselves. Well, that is really incredible. What inspired you to do this or what was... Like, did you, were you, do you, has anyone else done this kind of thing? It seems very like unique. I could not find
1: anything like this. The closest thing that I could find is uh, the public library in Seattle has uh, music practice rooms uh, where you might have, uh, it's a soundproof room and you've got maybe a piano, uh, but no recording equipment. And any recording studio in the greater Seattle area is going to cost at minimum a professional recording space, $50 an hour. And that is way cost prohibitive for people. Um, especially if, you know, it's one thing if you're an independent podcaster who wants to start a show that's just you talking into a microphone, you can get a $20 microphone or there are recording options for the cell phone. Um, which I talked about before, but they're possible. If you want to make, say, an audio drama, and you need a place to bring your voice actors and to put their voice down, you can't, you can't as easily shove them into your closet as you can yourself. Uh, and so there's a, a lot of things that I think this will enable people to do that they might not otherwise have access to. Now I started building this studio because uh our show outgrew this the tiny booth where we were recording and I realized that I'm lucky enough to have some extra space. I'm I'm lucky enough to have this equipment and uh like I said I'm a contractor and I'm I'm lucky enough to have the skills to build this
0: thing and and so I wanted to share it with with everyone I could. Wow, well, thank you so much. Um, how has the community responded to this? It's only been about a week, right?
1: It's, um, it's been like four days, I think. Um, okay. <laughs> and the community has responded uh, very positively. Uh, I've gotten a lot of interest uh, from, from different people on uh, uh, Facebook as well as on Reddit. It uh, has definitely driven some people to check out uh, the group. And uh, I don't have any reservations yet. But uh, the email is open, and I think that the big strength of this is going to be that the resource is available. So I think that next time someone says, man, I'd really love to do such and such project, but I I only have one microphone, uh, maybe they'll think, hey, I can
0: drive over to Kirkland and use Dead Possum Studio. And um, this is covered in one of your episodes, but why is it called Dead Possum? Uh, It's called Dead Possum uh, because...
1: This space used to be uh, a neglected, broken-down shack, and I basically tore it down to the studs and rebuilt it from the ground up. And when I did, uh, I found a dead possum in under the floorboards, and it ended up being a huge hassle to try and extricate it. So there it remains. <laughs> um, it's... It's a nice, clean skeleton, so there's no smell, so I figured, just leave it, and I built a new floor over it, and so now,
0: uh, as far as I can tell, it's haunted. And uh, how many microphones are in the studio? Or, like, how many people can you get in the studio? Uh,
1: so the studio has enough room to s- to comfortably seat five. Um, we have technically four microphones right now we have two studio what i would call studio quality microphones and then we have a uh, portable recorder uh which is the the zoom h1 uh which folks might know is a pretty decent quality entry-level recorder and then we have uh an audio technica stage mic which uh, the audio quality is not as good uh so I would recommend two people at a time with a guest. You can you can do up to four or whoever wants to share mics.
0: And if people are interested in finding out more information, where they, should they uh, go?
1: Oh, they can go to bit.ly forward slash civic NW. That's with a capital P, capital NW. Or they can go to facebook.com slash
0: groups slash civic NW. So continuing kind of this path of getting more technical about, you know, how these shows are really produced, um, you mentioned about hosting options. So where do you host your files? So uh, we host Bigfoot and Bob on Pinecast,
1: which is a smaller, newer host. Uh, They offer a basic plan that's only five bucks a month, and, and that has a file size limit but no quality limits so if we want to do an episode in 128 256 if we want to do it in uh, mono or stereo we have the option Uh, i like to do it in stereo because i think that uh, data concerns are not nearly as big as they used to be the conventional wisdom in podcasts is to stick to mono unless you've got a lot of music because people don't want to download as large files but i think that's changing i think that data is becoming more of a necessary utility for people and folks don't seem to mind the file size so i like to do stereo because it's spatial you know i we're separated a little bit left right uh and when we do have music it sounds way better And we have the freedom to do that on Pinecast. Uh, Now, there are risks to a smaller, newer hosting service, obviously, if they're not as well established. Uh, Maybe they're just operating off Amazon Web Services. Um, Maybe they are going to be more prone to outages, uh, but... I felt like it was worth the risk, and we do back up all of our files, and we back up our RSS feed, um, so if, Lord forbid, something were to happen, um, we'd be able to get back on our feet pretty quick. Uh, but we haven't had an issue so far. It's been honestly a joy. Uh, Matt, who runs Pinecast, has been very responsive uh, in, in terms of uh, asking for feedback and uh, fixing bugs, and of which there haven't been too many, so we couldn't be happier.
0: And what microphones do you use to record your show?
1: So we use an MXL 990 and an AKG P120. Uh, they're both, uh, I'd say, second-tier microphones. Uh, each one is around 100 to $150. Bucks. Um, the next step up would obviously be like a Rode NT1A or um, even a little more so than that where we're spending, you know, two three four hundred dollars on a microphone Uh, but for most podcasting i find that the level of the mxl 990 or the p120 is more than enough uh because because you really have diminishing returns on uh, microphone quality for cost and this is kind of the sweet spot for us right now especially if we want to try and add more microphones for more versatility and do you record all of your shows in person or do you
0: ever do remote interviews?
1: We've done remote interviews before. We like using Zencaster uh, because it'll record locally on the guest's machine and then send us that file as opposed to uh, sending it through the, the black hole that is Skype and other <laughs> VOIP uh, where who knows what kind of compression is happening to it. Uh I like that a lot, so we use Zencaster for that. uh, But most of our stuff is in-person. And how do
0: you edit your episodes?
1: We edit uh, Bigfoot and Bob in Pro Tools. Um, We started in Pro Tools because that was what was available in the recording booth uh, that we were using. Uh, And when we moved into our own studio, uh, this was shortly after Pro Tools first came out which is a free version of pro tools Uh, it's limited to a certain number of files and a number of effects but we've got a two people talking podcast and it's more than enough uh, beef to handle our chunk so we've been editing in there i've done i've worked on a couple of audio drama projects here and there and i've used ableton live for that Because I feel like their workflow has uh, a much more open space for multi-track recordings, uh, for keeping track of a bunch of different actors and sound effects and music, uh, as well as editing your audio chain on the fly, uh, your post-processing. And uh, media browsing is, is also super easy in Ableton. So dropping in sound effects, dropping in music, interstitial stuff. Um, but Pro Tools is really good at perfecting your post-processing chain and, um, and seeing every step that it's going through. So I really like that. It's a clean, minimal interface. Uh, and the
0: uh, controls are very good, very intuitive. So how long does that post-production take of editing?
1: Well, I I tend to edit pretty aggressively. Um, So it usually takes probably two hours for an hour of audio, maybe a little more, um, because I'm pretty meticulous. Uh, But there are times that it's a lot easier for example we did a live episode uh recently where it took like five minutes to edit because there aren't really any edits that need to be done um and sometimes you know you're lucky enough to just be able to drop in the the theme music here and there but i do like to take a personal approach to it i i personally like when the edit is characteristic of the host in the same way that the dialogue is so if we make a joke that i think would be punched up or improved uh with an editing technique you know maybe a spooky delay or adding some sound effects here and there i'll do that because it's silly and it's fun and and i like to be able to play around with it
0: and then how do you prepare for your shows how do you pick your topics and do you have you know share notes
1: yeah we have a google doc and it is very long uh, of topics that we would like to do and we generally don't have a lot of trouble picking one uh because we have not yet run out of topics that we're really excited about so when we get ready to do the episode you know uh, a few days ahead we'll talk about um what kind of stuff we want to do, how we want to approach it. Certain topics take more research than others. Certain topics take a lot more research than others. Uh, And some topics take no research at all. So depending on that, we sort of choose how to allocate our
0: time. And so you're doing a pretty humorous take on these things. Do you ever have any like pre-planned jokes or bits or is it all just spontaneous?
1: Oh no, it's, yeah, I I think that doing a show that is ostensibly spontaneous and writing pre-planned jokes is comedy suicide. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our shows are entirely improvised. We might decide on a bit to do ahead of time. You know, like if we're struck in the moment, uh, we might pause the recording and say, okay, I'm going to pretend to be an idiot for a few minutes just roll with (laughs) it uh but we're not planning out jokes one of the things that really shines about our podcast i think is that it is genuinely just my fiance and i having fun hanging out together and it's personal and informal and hopefully you also learn something
0: is there any danger? I've talked to some other podcasters with um, their co-hosts or people they're very close with, and they talk with all the time. Is there any danger of kind of like losing your steam? Like, do you ever talk a little bit too much before the show and feel like maybe you've uh, you've you've lost something? I don't think so.
1: Uh, one of the wonderful things about the person that I've chosen to spend my life with is we never run out of things to talk about. And if we've talked a topic to death outside of the show, we won't do it on the show. Uh, Or we'll do it in such a way that we're talking more to the audience than to each other. We've definitely done topics where uh, either they're more heavily researched or we just sort of have an understanding uh, between one another of how it goes. And it's more of like a co-lecture, you know, like maybe you've got two teachers today (laughs) and, uh, and we sort of support each other's points in that way. But most of the time, we can just chat. We can just uh, say what comes to mind. We, we've we got uh, flag posts that we uh, use to make sure that we hit all of the points that we want to hit. But other than that, uh, we're just going for
0: it. And how much time do you think you spend promoting your show? Oh,
1: that's interesting. It might be depressing to calculate. Uh, but <laughs> we we honestly don't do that much promotion uh we are active in communities and we try to give back to uh the communities that we're a part of uh and i think that people find the show that way a lot as well as word of mouth um but for promotion i mean i made some business cards we were definitely uh doing self promotion at at podcon and we do somewhat at at networking events um but we don't put a lot of importance on being popular on being widely listened to because i feel like that's a great way to feel like you're wasting your time I think a lot of podcasters' number one priority is to hit certain benchmarks, certain download uh, numbers. And depending on the project, that might be necessary for your project survival. That might be uh, important for the purpose of your art. But for most shows, and certainly for ours, we do it because we love doing it. We do it because... Getting in the studio and bullshitting for 30 minutes to an hour it is a genuine gift to be able to put everything aside and
0: just talk to each other once a week, it, once every couple of weeks. It's awesome. So you don't pay attention to your stats too much, or how often do you look at those?
1: No, um, uh, I will see download numbers a week later when I go back into the host to put the next episode in. Uh, Maybe that's two weeks. Maybe that's uh, a couple of days. Um, And every once in a while, if it's open, I'll refresh it. uh, Just to keep an eye out for anything really weird. You know, if suddenly our our numbers double or triple (laughs) for one episode, then I'm going to go looking for why that happened. Uh, Or if, you know, three days after it's posted, there's zero downloads then maybe there's a technical issue i gotta look into
0: but not for self-adulation certainly yeah so you've avoided the uh the obsessive stats podcaster there's some people that you know it seems like they're checking every hour and it just drives them insane
1: <laughs> right yeah like i said i i feel like that's a great way to feel like you're wasting your time because there's never going to be a number there that you say that's enough <laughs> There's never going to be uh, a number there that means that you'll want to stop growing. And if growth is important to you, spend your time on growth. If that's fulfilling for you, if that's part of your art, you know, like I enjoy editing. Editing is part of my art. If I hated editing, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> uh, our episodes would just be what they are. Uh, but I like doing it, and I obsess a little bit over the edit. I'll be honest, but. That's because it's fulfilling for me. And honestly, if obsessing over stats is fulfilling for you and it feels good, then do it. You can do that. You know, if you're a numbers guy and, and, and that's what you're looking for, I, I support you. <laughs> I support you doing that. But genuinely think about whether you feel good or bad. If you're checking your stats four or five, six times a day and you find yourself feeling bad at the end of it, maybe it's not
0: the way to go. And so, uh, what social media are you on right now for the show? So, Twitter was our first home,
1: and we've definitely tried to be responsive to that. Uh, we would certainly have the most interesting conversations on Twitter. Now, for Civic Northwest, uh, it's centralized on Facebook pretty uh, exclusively uh, because it allows for community conversation in a way that Twitter does not uh, in the pod civic facebook group anybody can post about any issue that they're having or help that they need uh, or s- something they have to offer and other people can jump in and comment on that and and everybody can see it whereas t- twitter is very much a one-to-one medium or one-to-many medium uh, and facebook we we can we can do many to many
0: and have you done any experimenting with
1: uh, Instagram? I have not ever touched an Instagram. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people say, you need an Instagram. And I say, mm-hmm. no, we're an
0: audio medium. Yeah, yeah, because I ask this question because uh, I want to know what you're putting on Instagram because people keep on saying, you know, oh, you got to be on Instagram where I get – some people told me they get a lot of listeners from Instagram. And my question is always like, how? What, I don't – I don't know what I have I have one for my, my shows, but I have no idea what to put up there. You can only put so many pictures of your, your mic on and then it's like what are you gonna do? <laughs> well
1: and and you have a better opportunity than most. If your podcast is about podcasts, then you can post pictures of your microphone. But a pet peeve that I have is people with podcasts that have nothing to do with audio production, uh, who have podcast themed social media. Uh I think just because it's a podcast doesn't mean there should be a microphone on uh, on your cover art. Uh movie posters don't all have video cameras on them. <laughs> uh but that's a tangent that I won't go down
0: <laughs> any further. And do you keep up much with the uh, podcast industry news?
1: Uh somewhat. Yeah, yeah, I'm on a few different mailing lists. Um You know, when we first started the show, we, for the first like two months, we were hosted on Buzzsprout. Uh, and I've stayed subscribed to their mailing list because it's got some really great news that, uh, uh, that I I enjoy reading. Their blog is very good and it it sort of has the finger on the pulse. I've also got Google Alerts for podcasting and, and whatnot. And I like to sort of keep up on the news. Any uh, other favorite sources? Uh, so, bellow collective is a wonderful resource for uh some news but mostly uh articles um on culture and process you know they'll uh, i read a great article on there about hosting your first live show and how you don't have to have hundreds of people in attendance to have a successful live show uh and they have a great attention to independent producers, um, uh, lifting up marginalized voices, um, making sure that podcasts are accessible to everybody. So sometimes I just spend a few hours like <laughs> scrolling around there. Oh, very good. I'll have to check that
0: one out. That's Bello Collective. B-E-L-L-O. All right. I'll make sure I have the, the link in the show notes there. And so you said you listen to lots of uh, podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. How do you discover new podcasts?
1: So i discover new podcasts through the ones that i listen to of course you know if one of my favorite hosts starts a new show um i'll check that out of course i do a lot of networking as well i think i walked away from podcon with 35 new podcasts to listen to alternatively twitter is a great source uh for connecting with people who have similar interests uh advertisements uh, i have a lot of friends who listen to podcasts and when they find new shows they will uh, pass them along to me if they think that i'll like them a, a lot of network-based stuff uh, for example if you listen to any of the shows on the maximum fun network or the earwolf network or the Headgum podcast network you'll hear ads for other shows on that network. Crooked Media is a great example. Uh, they do a lot of cro- cross promotion. And so I'll listen to shows that are curated in a way by, by being on a network.
0: And as a listener, do you have any podcasting pet peeves? As a
1: listener, interesting. Um, I I'd say some of the run-of-the-mill ones, not compressing your audio, not normalizing your audio. You know, when you've got really loud and really soft parts. And so I'm turning up the volume and then, oh gosh, I'm turning down the the volume. Um, Your podcast should be normalized to minus 19 LUFS. Uh, If your podcast is wildly loud as a baseline, it will hurt my ears. (laughs) And uh, that's just, I don't need that kind of trouble. As for content, I think some shows have a tendency to go off on tangents uh, that aren't necessarily interesting to their listeners, even though they're interesting to them. You'll see things like uh, people will talk about something that they're uh, really interested in at the moment, but... They have no reason to believe that their listeners are interested in, you know, stuff way off topic. Uh, but that that's less a problem for me because if you're passionate about something, then then I'll be into it. Uh,
0: I don't have a whole lot of pet peeves, honestly. Uh, you you said about the cover art. You didn't you didn't necessarily like the, uh, the mics and the cover art. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. I
1: think that um, something like uh, our friends Podskier who do a podcast about obscure and uh, independent podcasts, that's a great opportunity to put a microphone on your cover art. Um, Your show, which is about podcasts, that's a a great opportunity to put a microphone.
0: But it is kind of a design cliche. That or um, what kind of gets me is I see like the radio broadcast tower a lot of times, which is a little strange.
1: Oh, yeah, a radio, radio broadcast tower. Yeah, I think a lot of folks consider podcasting to be radio for people who don't want to do radio and I don't think it's that at all I I think it's an alternative to radio that is much more
0: appropriate for
1: the 21st century.
0: Well the dynamics are so much different I mean it's an on-demand media as opposed to one that's um, live and so in radio you have like a lot of people trying to fill time.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you have the opposite problem in radio that you do in podcasts. In podcasts, you need to make the most of every minute. Whereas in radio, it's a take it or leave it kind of thing. You've got 10, 20 radio stations uh, that you can listen to. But if you're listening to this one, you will put up with a lot. (laughs) You will put up with five minutes of uh of ads on an all music station uh you will put up with uh just terribly corny hosts and poorly planned segments and things that you cannot
0: get away with in podcasting yeah my my pe- biggest pet peeve for radio is the uh the teasing like an interview or something that's going to be happening and it'll be like for the entire show and then it'll be like a 2 minute conversation at the very very end but the uh-huh. entire show they're like coming up coming up yeah and I think a lot of that has carried over into podcasting because a
1: lot of the folks that are making the most popular podcasts used to make radio. I think NPR cornered the market on podcasts for a little bit for a little while there um and a lot of podcasters got into it with radio being their only model, you know especially some of the earlier and more popular ones um as well as the ones that are doing something professional i i I can't tell you how often I hear, whether it's an NPR show or a Crooked Media show or something else, where they're like, stay tuned, because after the break, we'll have such as... And I'm like, people aren't tuning out. First of all, that's not they're not tuning, because it's not radio. But it, um, if people don't want to listen to your ads on the radio, they have to change the channel or turn the radio off. And that means that to get them back, they have to actively navigate back. In a podcast, if they hate your ads, they'll just skip them. They're not leaving. And uh, that interview that you're teasing is not six minutes away. It is 10 seconds away. (laughs) Uh, So things like that, that uh, I guess there aren't so much pet peeves, uh, but they are things that I notice and,
0: uh, and things that I think could certainly be improved on the whole. So it's still the beginning of the year. Um, do you, this is probably the last time I asked this question to a guest this year. Um, do you have any predictions for 2019 for podcasting?
1: Oh, um, I, I don't spend a lot of time predicting things. Um, but I think that podcasts will continue to grow in popularity. I think that as more and more people realize how futile it is to actually speak to other human beings in person, Uh, more people will listen to audio. Uh, I think we, at least in Seattle, to speak to my own experience, uh, we're spending a lot more time stuck in traffic than we used to, and it's only getting worse. And so that, I think, helps the popularity of podcasts. I also think that podcasts are to audio what twitter is to social media it's a personal direct line to the people that you love and so it's only buoyed by uh, our culture's obsession with celebrity and uh, you can sort of see this in every other celebrity starting their own podcast I think that trend will continue. Um, Conan O'Brien started his own podcast a couple of months ago, which is nice. I actually listened to that, but um, I know that a lot of podcasters hate celebrity podcasts uh, because they sort of substitute celebrity for content and for character. But uh, I do think that it helps the it 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 raises all ships, uh, as the saying goes. So. There's been a huge increase in podcast listening over the last couple of years, and I think that will continue. I think podcast literacy among content creators is going up. I think that you have fewer and fewer podcasts that are starting off with a low quality because they're used to a higher quality In general and so they will seek out those that equipment and those methods and uh the care that goes into making a show that sounds very good that people really enjoy uh so i think that the average quality of podcasts is going to go up i hope that translates also to more audio drama because while it's a strong community currently uh i think uh We have an appetite for way more of it and way more audio drama that lifts up and empowers marginalized voices, um, women, people of color, people with disabilities. Uh, I think there's a huge appetite for that. And I think that's one that's going to be
0: filled uh, quite a bit more in the coming year. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can we find more information about your projects?
1: So uh, you can find all the Bigfoot and Bob stuff at bigfootandbob.com. And you can find all the Pacific Northwest stuff at facebook.com slash groups slash NW. All
0: right. I'll make sure I have all those links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. This is awesome. The Seattle Podcasters Podcast is a production of the Seattle Podcasters Guild. You can find more information about the Seattle Podcasters Guild or this podcast by visiting seattlepodcasters.com. This show has been hosted and produced by me, Jason Rigdon. Our theme song was Stringed Disco by Kevin in Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.